Hey, Peter from the future here. Uh, I'm not sure really what happened to my microphone, but it sounds kind of bad. Sorry about that. I tried to fix it. Uh, hopefully next week it'll be better. Enjoy the show. Recorded live at Tox and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studio, this is Bullhagen. This is Merrick. This is Vicker. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Kind of feels like we just did this. Yeah, I know, right? It's kind of strange. You got your button ready, by the way? All yeah, right. <laughs> if you're wondering so, what that... Welcome, welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. Thank you, we're Peter. Recording this, we're recording this immediately after ending the previous episode because we just can't uh, shut Berg up and he has to keep going on his current topic. <laughs> yep. That's that's the problem when you give a professional speaker a mic. So, if you're wanting an update on the dog, nothing's changed since our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> What's the dog's name again? Uh, well, that depends whether I get help from the Clerical Heirs Army uh, posting on the Facebook that Norman is a great name for a dog. And the email... And especially the Twitter. Well, the thing is, the Facebook is public, so she can actually... But isn't Twitter public, too? I, is it? I don't know. You're going to have to post a picture of Norman <laughs> on the uh, Facebook on Sunday. So what makes so, this hopefully, dog look like... done that. What, what, what does this dog... What about this dog makes him look like a Norman? Well, one, he uh, is kind of lazy. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't do much uh that's two it's a kind of a dude because i get tired of the you know the sparkies uh you know the the typical dog name you could name him like what luther named his little dog tupful which is means little fool (laughs) (laughs) anyways so so before we get into berg's uh uh back into berg's topic we should probably hit a couple of, uh, you know, standard podcasts. We should probably hit the text for the day. But I wanted to talk about something. So Ooh. Bert's not here today, and uh, and no, no flame to him. You know, we it, busy schedules. He lives pretty far away. Yes, you know, no big deal. He can't no make. flame or shade. No shade, right? But in our text conversation. I think at least half, maybe more, of his texts contain one thing. Do you guys know what that is? What is it? He ends most of his messages with three dots. Three periods. Mm-hmm. As though he is maybe considering whether or not he's going to finish his sentence. But it's always the end of the sentence. I have to look this up now. Hmm. I'm looking right now. If he, when he does use punctuation, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's frequent. I'm not sure it's. Eh, there's a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean it's cr- true. Cr- I, cr- I, I never would have thought that. Cr- a couple of the examples <laughs> are quotes. So, but he, yeah. he uses dot dot dot. Yeah. So it, now, in in a in a casual conversation with you men. Uh, what would you, how, what kind of tone would you read that in? If somebody says like, hey, I had a really fun time last night, 
dot dot dot. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're waiting for for the rest of the message. The rest of the message, right? Or uh, something like, uh, "I can't make it. I have a funeral coming up." Dot dot dot. Maybe What's it's that kind of feel. Maybe like? instead of dot dot dot, it's dot dot dot. <laughs> read it that way I mean, once. Almost read read one, the same text well, that way. I mean, Steve. Would we have rather had have that sentence punctuated with an exclamation point? So so read it and I'll see if it works. I can't make it. I have a funeral coming up. Da da da. Give me another example. Um, better than a question mark. I can't make it today. I have a funeral coming up. <laughs> oh. Um, not be, not able to be there, but keep me posted for next week. Da, da, da. <laughs> I think it does uh, fit with Bert's personality, though. It, it, it's either way, it's yes. either you know the the sentence isn't finished, or you're implying that you should know how it ends. How it ends, right? Mm. Could he possibly like, just be heavy-handed with his use of a period and stuck button syndrome? Bert isn't heavy-handed I, about anything, though. Okay. It's like, like if I was to get a, a message from my mom back when I was living at home that said, uh, hey, we'll be ready to go as soon as I get done doing the dishes, dot, dot, dot. What is that implying? That's, you better be there. <laughs> that's implying that I should have done the dishes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, what, so, so let, let, you know, let's help Bert out. He's not here, but we can help him. So what kind of pitfalls could he run into if he keeps doing this? What kind of messages? Um, um I wouldn't uh I can meet you at the funeral home dot 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, texting etiquette is really difficult. I will say that it, it can be um uh millennial advice not the not I'm technically millennial uh keep the punctuation down. Yes. You can use commas, but you almost never use periods unless you're completing a sentence and starting a new one. It's almost as if the period is just kind of like, I I don't know how to explain it. So the period, the period, if if it's just one sentence in a message and you end it with a period, it's got some force. It's got some finality to it. Yeah. Although I I like uh, the the lazy thing Berg does where it just says liked comment. (laughs) (laughs) That's another one that we could talk about. Um, Berg has an iPhone and the rest of us don't. So when Berg likes a comment, and maybe he doesn't know this, when Berg uh, likes any of our messages, instead of just having like a thumbs up like you might think, all of us get another text from Berg that says liked quote and then the message he liked. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm, I was so, thinking, like, that's a lot of work to type in liked and then. <laughs> All for you, Bullhagen. All for you. <laughs> I'm trying to find a good example here. It was something there's it'll be it's pretty common. That'll be like, you know, we'll, we'll set a time. We'll say, oh, Tuesday morning at 930. And then we'll just get another message. Berg liked Tuesday morning at 930. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't even know that, did you? I didn't. Yeah. The ones I the ones that I don't know, it kind of flusters me a little bit is when people will write like single letters like K. I don't know. I just don't like that. 
That is now that is a holdover from T9 texting. Uh, you'll find most most younger people will actually type in full words and you know decent enough strings of words that you can make a sentence. Um, in fact, you'll find uh, the 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 older people that got used to the T9. Um, texting. I mean, texting with the new numbers. Texting so, with the numbers, yeah. Yes. Um, that they they are actually terrible to text because they still use all that old stuff, even though they have a full keyboard in front of them. Mm-hmm. Now I know Norman texts with K9. Well, that makes sense. If you want to see some really interesting text messaging, my my mother in law has worked was a nurse, so she'll use nursing shorthand every so often too. Oh, on top of so what the is T9 style. So it gets So what is nursing shorthand? Like like the abbreviations they'll use in like their reporting. So there'll be like these two and three letter codes that mean stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example? I can't so for example, because I don't know. Actually, that. I've seen some of this like uh A K H A P S E I E means in nursing another kid has a pumpkin seed in his ear. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. That one comes out quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, in summary, when texting, keep your punctuation down to a minimum. Don't end your message with a period unless you're angry or it is the end of the conversation you have decreed. I'm actually Commas learning some new stuff. Commas are fine. Mm-hmm. And ah. don't end your message with a three periods at the end of the message unless you want to incite fear and worry into the recipient. So another, what what about there are specific rules about emojis? Uh, emojis are fine in casual settings. Don't send an emoji to your boss. Because I I don't know maybe should should men over the age of forty five be using emojis? It's fine if it's to your family or to yeah. a, a friend. Actually, the only one I I, could, I think I send emojis to is my wife. <laughs> yeah, as long as they make sense. I mean. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, emoji. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, Emojis are more fun when they don't make sense. Thumbs up or like a beer, if we're gonna party or. There actually, I'm. I'm, I I must admit, there are times where I I can't find the emoji on my phone, so I will type thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you're using the right keyboard, sometimes it'll pop it in anyway. Or snow. That's one nice thing. You can type in snow or baby, and it'll give you an emoji. It's awesome. There should be a So anyway, sorry. I just had to get that off my chest. I'm sorry Bert's not here to defend himself, Uh, but hopefully we've uh, enlightened you, Bert, uh, assuming you still listen to the podcast uh, (laughs) when when you're not on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know he's going to end up ending every single message that way now. Oh, I I sure hope not. I hope so. Yeah. We wish we were here, Bert. Dot, 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 dot. dot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right what, all right what do, let's get to the text what are we preaching on okay uh sixth sunday of easter that would be john 16 23 to 30 or do you want me to go all the way to 33 that's an, it's just an extra three verses so an extra, throw in the extra three in that day you will ask this is jesus speaking in that day you will ask nothing of me truly truly i say to you whatever you ask of the father in my name he will give it to you until now you have asked nothing in my name Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I do like when you get a glimpse into the disciples and how funny they are. Because in this one, they're like, now we know, we understand all things. This is, when is this, Vicar? This would be, literally, the next section says the high priestly prayer, and then the next chapter after that is the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. So this is in the garden. Right. They're like, all right, we got this now. And you can, womp, pr- womp, yeah. womp, and you can all but hear, you know, Jesus' hand against his forehead and the exasperation <laughs> as like, now, finally? It's been yeah. three years, guys. Yeah, stay tuned, stay tuned, disciples. Seas are going to change here pretty soon. <laughs> It's kind of like in Luke where Jesus is like, look, bring two swords along, bring your money purse. And they're like, well, we got two swords. You can just hear Jesus sighing and being like, okay, it's enough. Yeah. But John's gospel is amazing this way because Jesus uses a lot of, and the word here is figurative language. He does this in John chapter 2 where he talks about the temple. Mm-hmm. And really, the temple is his body. In John chapter three, with the new birth; John chapter four, with the living water; um, John chapter six, with my flesh is true meat and my blood is true drink. It, it just kind of keeps going through. Jesus uses a lot of a lot of language, figurative language, in the Gospel of John, uh, where people have no idea what he is, what he, what he, what he's even saying. And it's interesting because this is not how we teach vicars. <laughs> yes, that's true. And so I, I do think it's interesting because... Because there have been times where vicars say, well, you're going to laugh at this, right? Well, where they, they say, okay, Bullhagen said this, but what is he really trying to say? They like try to read into my deeper thoughts on things. <laughs> Yeah, the, the trick the trick is to realize that it's not a deeper thought. No, what you see is what you get, man. <laughs> and the interesting thing about the way that Jesus teaches, it's very different than how we teach. When we teach, we teach very straightforward. We kind of give people the answer. Where Jesus kind of takes them on a journey. And he spends a lot of time kind of leading them through this. And so when he talks about the new birth, Nicodemus is like, well, that's stupid. What am I going to do? Climb back into my mom's womb? And, then- and, and it's done in such a way where at the time it doesn't make sense. Can we talk about this the, the, with, a, with, with Jesus being the fulfillment of prophecy and understanding the Old Testament? It's kind of like the end of a movie where, where something happens and then all those unimportant things in the movie that you didn't understand like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's part of that too, as Jesus teaches all these things that 
when the death and resurrection then hits, and then he goes back and shows, this is what I meant, this is what mm-hmm. I meant. Then all the pieces then come together. It's just funny, like, we don't teach like Jesus does. No. And I wonder if that's a failing on our part, just because we've never been really taught to teach that way, or if we're just afraid our people won't take the journey with us. Because I I think that is a big deal, is that we want people to take this journey with us because once they do that, once they engage, it's going to stick with them a lot longer than if we just simply give them the answers. I, I would put it, say this, what Jesus could do in the, it is express, he expresses it's in the gospels express. This is, this is expressed all the time where it says Jesus understanding what they were thinking. He knew in what was in their hearts. He knew kind of their thoughts and so he had that advantage of then being able to teach in a way where he knew what they were thinking. And I don't know. I don't think it was necessarily, was it a, a supernatural thinking or was it just I was more... about to ask that same question. Do you, do you think that uh, all of this, this Jesus teaching and the disciples not getting it until after the resurrection, is that a supernatural thing? Or is that just, it didn't make any sense. And so, of course, they didn't get it. I mean, in part, yes. Uh, I, I think it depends on what context you're talking about. So, like, in the in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus tells them to beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And the disciples say, ah, oh, Jesus is mad because we didn't bring any bread along. And Jesus is like, no, that's stupid. Uh, <laughs> your hearts are hard. And it says in the text that their hearts were hardened. Um, I think this actually relates very well to the text that came before, that Jesus said, I have many things to tell you, but you are not ready for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the beautiful things that Jesus does throughout, right? He uh, uh, In John 3, he takes Nicodemus through it. Uh, in John 4, he takes the Samaritan woman, where when he says, go call your husband— we think, oh, well, that's kind of a non sequitur. Why, why, you know, you're talking about living water. Well, here he's showing that he's a prophet and that if he's a prophet, they're really not talking about literal water. They're talking about something different. Mm-hmm. And this is when it all switches to like worship. Um, same thing in John chapter six, where Jesus at the beginning of his discourse says, look, those who believe in me shall never hunger, and those who come to me shall never thirst. It's an, a, a complete dialogue about faith. And yet, people don't get it, right? And they're still thinking in this very capernetic sort of way that, oh, well, Jesus is going to slice off a piece of his flesh and give it to us to eat. What does capernetic mean? Uh, it Since this dialogue took place in Capernaum, oh, yeah. uh, we... In our confessions, we talk about it as capernetic eating, um, and this is one of the things that this is actually a supernatural eating and not not some sort of Thestian banquet. But but to get back to your question then about his teaching, I, I will say that along that note, then you know a big part of teaching and preaching is really trying to figure out what people are are thinking, thinking and struggling with. And I just know, like, in seminary, when we had professors who asked you the question and forced you to struggle with it, 
those are the things that I remember the most. And I sometimes I wonder if our teaching and preaching would be better if we took people more on this journey, if we forced them to struggle with it a little bit more. So that way they made these answers their own. I, I have done it preach in such a way where where I, I build them in a, up in a way of what the, you know, oh yeah, oh yeah. That's and then and then I, I basically said everything I said was just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well You know what I mean? I don't know if I've done that kind of. There's been a couple a couple things minorly, yeah, where it's maybe oh look, we could take it this way, but that's not the right way to go. Here's the right way. Well, and I think we get so afraid that, well, people aren't going to listen. People aren't going to stay with us for... And with Jesus, it was the same way. Um, Nicodemus doesn't get it until after Jesus' death. Uh, the Samaritan woman did, but she was willing to stick by him and continue to learn. Uh, the people at Capernaum, the Jews who are mad about his, talking about his flesh being true meat and his blood being true drink, I mean, they all leave. Mm-hmm. Right, so this isn't—I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if that isn't a risk we shouldn't take. That it's good for people to be uncomfortable. It's good for people to struggle a little bit in the faith. Do you know what I just realized? Bert's genius. Isn't that exactly what he's? This been is doing? what he's doing with the text message. <laughs> <laughs> it all—it's all come together now. <laughs> See. We just are hard of heart and do not understand him. Right. We do not understand the meaning of the periods. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, and he probably is hitting himself in the forehead. You guys, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. I need to speak plainly with you. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, usually we go from plain speaking to figurative, but Jesus does it the opposite. He goes from figurative to plain speaking in his ministry. So... Sometimes I wonder if that isn't, uh, it would be hard to do, and I think you'd have to be a good teacher to do it, but. An example of this that I've, where I've, I've noticed, um, for as far as a plain speaking where it's kind of helpful, is uh, there have been times where a vicar's working on a sermon, mm -hmm. and I'll say, well, what are you trying to say in this part of the sermon? And they'll tell me, and I said, why didn't you just say it like that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, what I was trying to say is, okay, you just told me in a nice, easy way that I understand, but in the sermon... <laughs> yeah, this is gobbledygook. <laughs> but it's great because Jesus speaks plainly to them, and then they kind of get all like, oh, now you're speaking plainly, and we believe this, and then Jesus is like, yeah, you are all going to run away. <laughs> <laughs> so confident. But uh, the... Uh, I identify yeah. with those dudes. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. Well, and you know another thing to touch on in this gospel reading is all of the prayer promises that God gives. Um, in that day you will ask me nothing, uh, which is interesting because if you read the Old Testament, the people are always going to Moses or to one of the leaders to pray for them. But here Jesus is like, look, you can pray to the Father. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, that is in faith, uh, he will give you. I mean— Oftentimes we try to limit prayer, but these are powerful promises that God will give us what we ask for. Uh, he's not going to give us something evil. He's not going to give us something painful. Uh, but I don't know if we actually believe this. 
<laughs> what do you mean by that? If we actually believe that God would give us what we ask for, we would pray a lot more than what we do. Right. And I think I mentioned this before in a podcast. I find myself in prayer, if someone's in the hospital, help us accept your will more than, you know, heal this dude. <laughs> right. Or Hezekiah. Hezekiah got 15 years more more of life because he prayed. So I just, we... So, do you, Berg, do you consider yourself a prayer warrior? Uh, actually, what has helped me pray more uh, has been my children. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that, that the beauty of love is you find yourself willing to do things more for someone else that you wouldn't do for yourself. Right. And this is why, too, it's very important to have the commandments because we need to be commanded to pray. We do. Because all these promises are great, but we just don't take advantage of them. Right. We don't. We actually we actually have to kill the old Adam, the old flesh, uh, because prayer is it is very powerful. Because God hears our prayer; He promises these things. So, it's not like and don't like. Here's a big pet peeve of mine: don't ever say on Facebook, "Well, sending prayers your way." You've seen that, right? Sure. That's it's so dumb. It's no, you're praying to the Father. You're praying to the Father. This isn't like good vibrations, man. I just do the praying hands. <laughs> would, would a better way to say it be praying on your behalf? Yeah, praying on your behalf, or I'm praying to God for you. Rather than sending prayers your way. It's like, yeah, what do I want your spittle coming towards me for? I wonder if everyone has ever misappoint, misunderstood the, the praying hands mm-hmm. emoji. Like... Uh, I just want you all to know I'm going through a really, really, really difficult time, dot, dot, dot. And then someone's, why does this person give me a high five? <laughs> nice. Dot, dot, dot. All right. All right. So should we continue yeah. with uh, our discussion from last time? Well, on... well before, before we do that, uh, poor Peter hasn't had to play a single intro yet. Okay. And I know the audience is dying for a quick update. Okay. Of uh, uh, Bullhagen's book club, Peter. Play the intro. It's book time with Bullhagen. That's right. <laughs> so if you don't remember, uh, this will be quick because you've got some important stuff to do because you're you're going through some heavy material as am I. Indeed. Okay. If you're if you want to join this book club, Vicar, do you remember which book uh, I am reading? I'll admit the title is escaping me, but it is the autobiography of uh, Mike Lindell, the creator of My Pillow. That's right. I know. I I feel really bad forgetting forgetting the title because uh, it was pretty. Ca- yeah. What are the odds from crack addict to CEO? Thank you, thank you, producer. So uh, just a a quick uh, update of where I am in the book. Um, so uh, he starts uh, getting into alcohol in high school. His uh, drink of choice is peppermint schnapps. He also begin, begins a uh, a gambling habit, and uh, he tries. Uh, he mentions and complains a little about his uh, ADHD. Um, oh, get over yourself! Um, <laughs> he. Uh, I thought you were gonna say hashtag the struggle is real. <laughs> and then uh, he uh, 
works at a drive-in. He gets in a car accident where he his car hits a giant oak tree. He he survives. He goes to college for he says five minutes. Um, has a, he has a cup of coffee in college, and then uh, he uh, went to uh, California. Stopped by on his way to California with a friend in Las Vegas, where he he uh, starts his gambling a little bit more seriously. He he finds the thrill and the joy of gambling. Um, he then moves to a trailer park where he starts to open a personal casino. Uh, and at some point, he finds the joy of bookies where he starts betting on sports, finds himself $12,000 in the hole. Uh, he goes to a loan officer to loan him money for the $12,000. And then uh, um, he uh, – let's see where are my notes here. And uh, at that point, then he finds – he gets out of that, and a couple of years later, he finds himself. And a mafia-type person comes and leaves him a, a, a note uh, that he owes us money. Uh, and he's working at a grocery store, so if like some bookie, like guy wanting his money, comes, someone would call on the phone. Uh, you know, a cell phone for Mike on line three. That meant someone was there to kill him. Uh, and uh, that is where I am at. So. Um, haven't quite gotten to the uphill climb yet. It jumped around a little less, okay? But uh, he's uh, he's on this still on this downward spiral. Yeah, it seems like it. Oofed up. So he's in right as of right now. Uh, he he has moved back, and uh, he owes like twenty five grand to someone, um, and that's where I'm at so far. Any questions? It sounds like he just needs to work harder. That's right. <laughs> he needs a Protestant work ethic. Oh. Oofed up. So, uh, that, yeah, the section I read was was much less cocaine-y. Well, that's good. Is he still doing cocaine during those times, or is it? I don't I think, think well, he's he's there yet. This is yeah. Oh, this is pre cocaine. This is a pre coke era. Uh, oh yeah, right. We we switched channels again, didn't we? Yeah, he's he. You know, there's a lot of flashbacks. Remember, so. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, it will be interesting to see how it turns but around. But I, but because... I do think that, uh, you know, if we ever get into the like a movie production wing of Clerical Heirs, um, if we get enough subscribers for that, I think this will be our first movie project. I think you should have former Vickers playing the parts. Oh, especially the think... ones at the bar. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, Lefty and Popeye and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll uh, who, but who would who would could we get to play Mike Lindell? Well, what you could do is recruit some of your sons to play the young Michael Lindell, and then you could play the older version. I know who could play it. Uh, Peter, could you somehow put on the screen for them the picture of Jonah with a mustache? Ooh, that's tough. But you're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Is it real? It's no. fake, right? No, it's fake, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, what, like... that's what I want to go in the, you know, have the senior spotlight in the newspaper. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder uh, if he would be down for that. Because I would have awesome. been down. 
Well, anyway, so uh, Vicar, let's get back into Berg's topic here. Can you give us a short uh, refresher as to what we talked about last week? Uh, I'll give I'll give my best. Uh, yeah. So associate producer Hannah had sent us an email, particularly aimed at Berg. Uh, she had been reading a book about, I think, was it work ethic or Over, to, overworking? Yeah, overworking. Yeah, that's not the right one. But yeah, on overworking and Berg very graciously did a whole lot of research on on this because the the author of the book was quoting from Luther. In, in a way that in a way that she didn't of, really understand she, yeah. Luther's. She maybe saw a quote on the Wikipedia page from the look of it. But Berg took the whole discussion to the next level. Yeah, yeah. He actually did proper research and was looking at how how are I concept at least in america of the work ethic has been messed up disjointed from its christian roots and probably is killing us and we 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 talked about how capital capitalism uh, does not work without faith right and maybe sometime too because uh, weber really gets into you know and talks about calvinism as kind of being the the fermenting ground of this capitalistic spirit. So maybe someday I can put together uh, a Puritan work ethic sort of deal and see how right um, some of these things are. Um, but, uh, and how our perceptions of the Puritans, because the Puritans uh, have gotten kind of a bad rap. And so we might do that at some point in the, in the future, in a future episode. So, um, but, we did talk a little bit about Luther uh, and kind of what his thoughts are. Um, we had a few quotes from him. Um, I wanted to read a few more quotes just to show about the frugality and the hard work where he actually says, I did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's, and just kind of where this uh, Berufsleben, this calling in life, uh, where that really comes up. And really the way that, because we use this word vocation a lot. Does Baruf Slavin basically mean station in life? Baruf means call. Okay. So it'd be like vocation. Okay. okay. And so uh, this sort of calling, what does that mean? I think we use the word vocation a lot uh, in modern Lutheranism, but I think we actually have to know what kind of calling we're talking about. Um, there is the calling to the Christian faith, which is the one call we all have in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are calls to being mothers and fathers, uh, pastors or uh, political leaders or magistrates. So, for example, um, when people think, we as pastors encounter this all the time, where where people ask, well, when did you feel called? Or, you know, as though there was some sort of a red phone. right. You know, kind of like uh, Neo at the beginning of Matrix, you know, and we get a phone sent to our our workstation. And this actually comes from Calvinism. They would make a distinction between the inward call Mm -hmm. and the outward call. Now, this is a problem because I don't think it's very biblical. I think it's actually anti-biblical. I think we should talk about this the way that the Bible talks about it. Uh, To desire to be a bishop is a good thing. But not everyone who desires to be a bishop can be a bishop or an overseer. 
this is this is why if you fail your seminary classes, Vicar, you're not going to get called. No, and you're not called. Doesn't matter how you feel about it. You might desire that, and that desire is good. But if you can't cut the mustard, right? It it's it's kind of like the whole baptism argument when someone a Baptist asks a Lutheran, "When were you saved?" and they'll say, "Well, when I was baptized." They ask the pastor, "When were you called?" <laughs> You know, one would a Baptist would say, "Well, I was, you know, I was five years old, and I was sitting in church, and right, et cetera, et cetera." But that's, or uh, you know, I was at Sneaky Pete's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with Cooter and Hangman <laughs> and No Mind. <laughs> so <laughs> you're really having fun over there. I like it. Yeah. So that's what it's all about, man. <laughs> but yeah. It's and this is why when we talk about these things, we probably should talk about them in a biblical sense. Um, having a desire to be a pastor is a great thing, but actually being called, and this is why then the pastoral epistles get into all the qualifications. If you don't meet those qualifications, you can't be a pastor. Because if you, if you focus on the inward call and someone believe that's true, you know, there in their mind is how can you argue with God? Yeah, as if their feelings are God. Right. At the same time, we do say that, uh, you know, if it's a divine call. It'd be as silly as if I I said uh, to Jonah, you know, I feel like I'm your dad. So uh, you're going to come live with me and I'm going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And you'd, and what would, you, what would your response to that be? <laughs> to... Uh... If I to, to me, if I said to Jonah, oh, if you said it, yeah, um, I would say you guys don't look alike. <laughs> I say what you're arguing with God. <laughs> I would send you a text with three dots at the end of it. <laughs> but that's how ridiculous this is, right? That sounds, by the way, that sounds like how they, like seminarians pick up girls is, you know. Uh, I think you would, you should be my wife. <laughs> But anyway, the you're not a pastor till you're called, just like you're not a father until you're a father. Right. And you're not a husband until you're until that wedding day. And the Bible really, when you talk about the call, and I was gonna talk about this sometime, but we'll just talk about it now. The uh the New Testament when it talks about the placing of pastors or the calling of pastors, it has less to do with actually how you do it it's more deals with the qualifications of that person exactly so for example a guy like david henkel never went to seminary he was trained by i believe his father uh, and he was not actually a pastor for a long time and yet they had it set up where he could preach i don't know if you've learned anything about david henkel tennessee senate uh, name's vaguely familiar, but I don't have any details. He and his family were the first ones to have an English translation of the Book of Concord. Okay. So, very important guy. Uh, an, an apprenticeship worked for those guys, for mm-hmm. how a pastor was trained. Uh, seminary, well, there really weren't any seminaries, or if there were, I mean, there were, but it was much more difficult or of a false confession. Which is why when the Saxons came over, the one of the groups that formed the Missouri Senate, when they came to Perry County, 
Missouri, the, one of the first things they did was start up a school system, not only elementary, but also for high school and seminary. So that way they would always have... Because they had to bring their pastors over from Germany. Yes, and at that point, they thought that Germany was a lost cause, so they had to train their own. Now, their way of educating pastors is much different than how you and I were educated. Uh, there were pastors about 70, you know, 60, 50 years ago, they actually left home at seventh grade, mm-hmm. and you went to a boarding school. You went to a Lutheran high school, and you learned your languages, uh, and then you went to the senior college, mm-hmm. and then you went to seminary. Which is very different than how uh, the three of us here have been trained. And the senior college was basically seminary level. Yes. And so once you came out, you knew German, Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. Uh, And when you got to seminary, some of the classes were in Latin yet, especially the dogmatics classes. So, And this persisted even until about the 1930s. So... Uh, the way in which we train clergy has changed a lot over the years, uh, and our education system was very high. And it's in the process of changing now, too. Yes. And it might get to the point where we don't have seminaries, and so the question is, is how are we going to make sure that our congregations have pastors if there are no seminaries and if you and I go to jail and or are killed? Right. Right. And this is why it's always good not to get uh, too attached to the forms, because it might mean that a pious man from the congregation who fits the qualifications of a pastor might, out of necessity, have to step into the pastoral role and be called by the congregation and uh, have hands laid on him, and and he's the pastor. But for order's sake, that's why we're part of a synod. Yes, is to, to as best we can, uh, have a system where we know pastors have been trained and um, can receive a call. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if circuits shouldn't have uh, theological interviews. Just because there is. There is... We, we should have another layer of protection for congregations. But let's get back to your uh, reading here. All right. So, uh, all right. So Luther talks a lot about the call and, and in his large catechism, which I believe you should all go and read because it's amazing. Uh, at the conclusion of the first part after the 10 commandments, uh, Luther says this, he says, I am of, a, of the opinion indeed that here one will find his hands full and will have enough to do to observe these, namely meekness, patience, and love toward enemies, chastity, kindness, etc., and what such virtues imply. So he's saying here that you have enough good works to do by just following the Ten Commandments. But such works are not of value and make no display in the eyes of the world. For they are not peculiar and conceited works, and restricted to particular times, places, rites, and customs, but are common, everyday, domestic works which one neighbor can practice toward another. Therefore, they are not of high esteem. So, what do people really want? They want the big flashy works. They want the big uh, conventions, and they want the millions of dollars given to some poor kids in Africa, rather than actually buckling down and doing 
your God-given works here among your neighbors. And this is why they're not held in high esteem, because they seem common to us. But the other works, that is not from the Ten Commandments, cause people to open their eyes and ears wide, and men aid to this effect by the great display, expense, and magnificent buildings with which they adorn them so that everything shines and glitters. There they waft incense, they sing and ring bells, they light tapers and candles, so that nothing else can be seen or heard. For when a priest stands there in the surplus embroidered with guilt, or a layman continues all day upon his knees in church, that is regarded as a most precious work which no one can sufficiently praise. But when a poor girl tends a little child and faithfully does what she is told, that is considered nothing. For what else, wh- for else what should monks and nuns seek in their cloisters? So here we have this beautiful, uh, we have this beautiful uh, showing of what it actually means. That Luther's whole point here is that your calling and station in life, according to the Ten Commandments, is more pleasing to God than all of these beautiful church buildings uh, or, you know, praying in church all day. And we actually have one of those in Iowa, and I, you know, what I'm thinking of, right? Yes, the. The, gr- the, gr- the Grotto of the Redemption, right? Mm-hmm. That this guy spent how many years? He spent his whole life, his whole ministry there building this grotto to the Virgin Mary, which it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. People come Unique. from all over to see it. But I tell you that his work in doing that is nothing compared to the mom changing her son's dirty diapers. That... When you defend your neighbor's reputation in public and you forget about it, that is worth more than that uh, grotto. It's, it's kind of like uh, how the same goes when you're teaching true theology. It's not gonna it's not gonna make a lot of waves. It's not new and inventive. Yeah, I mean it's not you know it's not sexy, right? Like people talk about today, people. Yeah, don't get it's not flash and bang and but that's what people want. Yeah, they look at our services and say, "Oh, they're just a bunch it's just boring and we're not going to listen to them anymore." But nevertheless, this is where the real work happens. Now, I really wanted to smash um this woman's uh what her name was Celeste Headley's uh claim that Luther believed that idleness should be enjoyed only after death which is a flat-out lie. (laughs) So this is from Luther's second sermon, March 10th, 1522, the Monday after Invocavit, which is the first Sunday in Lent. He says here, Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences in all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slapped or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the words so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Had I desired to foment trouble, I could have brought great bloodshed upon Germany. Indeed, I could have started such a game that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would, but what would it have been? Mere fool's play. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. What do you suppose is Satan's thought when one tries to do the thing by kicking up a row. He sits it back in hell and thinks, oh, what a fine game the the poor fools are up to now. But when we spread the word alone and let it alone do the work, that distresses him, for it is almighty and takes captive the hearts, and when the hearts are captured, the work will fall of itself. 
So once again, Luther's like, I did what I was supposed to do. I went and I drank beer Mm -hmm. with my buddies. I went to bed and the word and the word did all the work. This is the this is diametrically opposed to what Franklin says. Franklin says you shouldn't even go to the bar. That, that that's what yeah you're right. And we talked about that before. And here Luther is like no idleness. I mean, and maybe not so much idleness, but simple enjoyment of life uh, is such a big thing in Luther's writing. We we see here, and no doubt he worked very hard, but he never was worried about his hard work. What he did, he was never anxious about it. And I think that's the thing is so many pastors today are inflicted with this demonic sort of spirit of capitalism that, well, if I leave, if I go on vacation, the church is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. I can never stop working. I can never stop doing it. It's like God will preserve his church. Like take comfort in it. It's great. And when you think of of the uh, the Old Testament and how God said, remember, how do you remember Him by resting? By resting, and we'll get into that next part on what uh, um, leisure. What should leisure look like? And what? And uh, one of the great sins of the day is Akadia, right? The noonday devil. Okay, so you want to get in that to net now, or you got some more? But so we can get into that. That third thing, leisure, the basis of culture, okay? What is leisure? Leisure is not idleness, and it's not, it's not non-activity, like watching Netflix, okay? Leisure is a mental and spiritual attitude. It is a receptive attitude of the mind. It is a contemplative attitude. And Luther touches on this, on what leisure should actually be in the third commandment. He says, how then does such sanctification take place? Not in this manner, that with folded hands we sit behind the stove and do no rough external work, or deck ourselves with a wreath and put on our best clothes, but as has been said, that we occupy ourselves with God's word and exercise ourselves therein. And indeed, we Christians ought always to keep such a holy day and be occupied with nothing but holy things, that is, daily be engaged upon God's word and carry it in our hearts and on our lips. But as as has been said, since we do not at all times have leisure— we must devote several hours a week for the sake of the young, or at least a day for the sake of the entire multitude, to being concerned about this alone, and especially urge the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, and thus direct our whole life and being according to God's Word. So here we see that leisure is not just sitting behind the stove, or ordering takeout, or as the Reformed uh, used to do, where they wouldn't even mow their grass on Sundays, or um, or or get into the planter. It is so legalistic. It is so stupid. So uh, I've got an uncle, a great uncle, who lives uh, in Minnesota, and he worked for these Calvinistic farmers, and they would not work on Sundays. So they would stop at eleven fifty nine on Saturday night, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they would start up right again at twelve oh one Monday morning. And it's like, this is just, this is not what this commandment is talking about. Leisure is not just simply, or uh, think of Little House on the Prairie. Laura Ingalls Wilder talks about, you know, sitting and playing with their dolls quietly, and they can't really do much of anything with Mm -hmm. that. Um, But it's all legalism. It's all external stuff. What is true leisure? 
It's meditating upon God's word. It's being occupied with God's word. And uh, you have to actually stop what you're doing to think about it. And uh, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right. Or the other, the other side of it, too, is Mary and Martha. You know, Martha actually was leisurely. She sat mm-hmm. at Jesus' feet and listened to what he said. And this is why the festival, a feast day, is the highest form of leisure. And this is why I just so regret that we got rid of all of the feast days uh, during the week and everything else. I mean, the uh, one thing that this Celeste Headley brings up, and I think it's right, that we work more than medieval peasants. They only worked about half of the year with all of their feast days and everything else. Okay? <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's huge. Uh, we do have a few feast days, and we can think of these. Uh, one of them is... One of the reasons. Feast Thanks- days. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, right? Christmas, Easter, right? These are feast days. These are holidays, and that word holiday, and everyone's like, oh, you know, people say happy holidays. Well, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say Merry Christmas. Holiday just means holy day. Come on. Right? right? That's what it means. So I'm going to say happy holidays all the time because I love holy days. And what do we do during these days? There's true feasting. There's true excess. There is spending of money. Mm-hmm. All of these things which are diametrically opposed to this uh, sort of Ben Franklin demonic spirit of capitalism and where it, you actually give for charity. You actually do all these things. And, and, and the feast day is pointed to... Something that's like, this is nice. You can, and that's the beautiful thing. You can truly feast. You can truly uh, indulge in this excess because you trust in God and what He has done for you. And and knowing that that uh, because God loves you, He does give you gifts and these, to enjoy. And these festivals are a foretaste of what we are going to experience in heaven. That when we stop our work, when we feast these these ways, when we stop it, um, yeah, and that's the thing, just stop it, right? Just stop <laughs> working. Stop it. Why? Because God's going to take care of it. Doing nothing requires a lot of trust. That's true. Doing nothing requires a lot of trust that God is actually going to preserve you. And this is one of the evilest things that's happened, especially around Thanksgiving, because now they've got stores open on Thanksgiving Day itself. It's no longer a feast day even. So this is why I'm all about hashtag bring back the feast days or bring back the holidays. Come up with a catchy slogan there, Peter, Mm. for that. In fact, uh, not only we should, if you come up with a slogan, but also we need a meme for this, don't you think? I think we need a meme. Well, that's not me that you have to talk to then. What is that, David, the assistant, the to associate, the assistant? associate producer? Right, right. And, and the way that has to happen <laughs> is we have to, because we rarely actually talk to to our our associate producer, so mm-hmm. we talk to her through the episode. So uh, Hannah, if you could uh, let uh, your associate producer David uh, put a meme together about bringing the festivals back, so that would be I awesome. I want my festival, festival. <laughs> Exactly. There we go. 
And frankly, uh, the pastoral office is the last leisure class we have. This was my last point that I wanted to bring up about leisure. And what do I mean by that? That we are, we are the last occupation, not even occupation, last calling where we are to sit and think. We are to sit and contemplate these things. It is part of our duty to read. It's part of our duty to think. It's part of our duty to study. And and I, and I know, I, know and this, I, I joke about this. I do actually think a lot. <laughs> no, I, I completely, but you would be surprised at how many pastors I've run into where they feel guilty. They feel guilty because they picked up a book and started reading it. Because they have been influenced by the world that, uh, well, if I'm not running and doing this, or if I'm not doing that, or if I'm not doing this, then I am not earning my keep or whatever. But pastors, it is your duty to read. It is your duty to study. And, and also, behind the collar moment, you know, not necessarily me, because uh, it might interfere with my clanging and banging, but this is why I think a lot of pastors smoke. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is because they're, they're, that is a very contemplative thing. Right. I mean, you know, actually, I'll be honest, uh, the I uh, thought of getting a vicar way back when. We, I, it was just an odd thing. I really, it's not like I've been thinking about it. someday I'll be a vicar and supervisor or something. We'll get a vicar. I was thinking, I was ha- on a late night walk with a cigar and I was like, yeah, it might be a good idea. Right. Well, because it gets you out, it gets you away from other people. Mm-hmm. And it is a socially acceptable way to get away from people. <laughs> uh, frankly, that's yeah. what it is. And I think. One of our problems is is now with this with technology, we are so darn connected to everybody and everything that as soon as the phone rings, we're out if we did try to set aside right. that time for contemplation, for thinking, for leisure, it's taken away from us. Right. Because if you have a lot of small kids, like the only place is the toilet. And even that. And even that is just back. <laughs> no, it's not. If, if these little ones are fast enough, they'll get in there. <laughs> not lately at your house, Vicar. No. So, uh, yeah, the pastor is the last leisure class, and we need to recover that. That um, All the other leisure classes, like the nobility, the aristocracy, uh, the sort of landed gentry, all of that has kind of gone away. Um, it has been transformed. Uh, the, uh, that this sort of idea of, of being able to think and to contemplate and to learn and to have this leisure, that's all gone. I mean, I, I wonder, for example, in the medical field, how how much time a doctor has when he's between patients to actually to look at the latest research, to do to read medical journals. Yeah, isn't it sad that we actually have to give people time for professional development? Like we actually have to mandate it. We have to mandate. Oh, you got to go on and do more stuff rather than trusting that they're actually going to continue to study because they actually have the time to do it. This is the problem. We are so overworked that now we have to say, oh, you got to leave for a few days because otherwise there's no other time to learn. (laughs) It's the same with teachers. It's the same with doctors. And they've even started to do it with the pastoral office. You've got all of these, um, what is it called? Um, 
uh, a goddess deans? No, not so much. Not so much the conferences, but the continuing ed courses that are yeah. held throughout our district and throughout the United States, uh, where you can get like credit, like like continuing education credit for it. I have, and it's like, I have so little of those. <laughs> well, I know we're supposed and, to keep up on those. This, but this. but you see, that's the problem, right? The problem is, is that they're thinking that we're all so busy that uh, they actually have to mandate it. They have to make it a law for us to actually do our job. You know, uh, you know, to actually do this part of the job mm-hmm. that we should just do anyway. Right. It's like buying somebody an iron lung when they should be breathing on their own. And this is a degeneration in us. Uh, this is a degeneration in our culture, in our people, even in the pastoral office. Because, like I said, this is our duty. This is our job. This is what we ought to be doing. Is And if we don't have the time for leisure, if we are that busy, then either we need to learn how to organize our days better, or we need to get over ourselves and not be so arrogant because the church won't fall apart because we take some time every, you know, every so, day so, to read. Berg, what would be helpful for members, say we got uh, parishioners, they want to help and support their pastor? How, how can they, how do you think they can help, help their pastor with this? Um, one way that they can help their pastor through this, and this would probably be the first steps to do it, is be very supportive of him going to conferences. Be very supportive of him, because some of us, when you're not used to this sort of thing, you need to just get away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think what happens for pastors who need to, in a way, get away, one of the reasons why they don't is because it costs money. Right. So there's financial support that you can give him, so that way he can go and do conferences and that sort and of stuff. And you have to, you almost have to earmark it. <laughs> you do. You, you know, earmark it in the budget. Yeah, or you have to say, okay, because, you know, if it, if we're talking about leisure and, and getting away and all those things, you know, if you just say, here, here's some money, we'll, we'll find all sorts of other places. To put it. To put it. You have to say, no, this is for. Yep, or this away. is for books, or this right. is for this. Um, another thing that you can do is don't tie him to the church building uh, with office hours. And what I mean by that is is uh, let him let him be free to go and study at a coffee shop. You know, uh, the, the third thing to do is don't get upset if he doesn't respond to your text right away. And pastors, this is something you should do is put your phone in a different room because phones are distracting. Phones are very distracting. Uh, even they've done studies that even if your phone is in your pocket, you've got a part of your mind that's always concentrating on that phone. Hmm. So you need to just get away from it all. This happened to me several times the last couple of weeks where uh, uh, my phone was out of power. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how long it's been out of power. And like, eh, I haven't gotten any text or calls today. It's, it's been like, kind of nice. It's nice, right? It is. <laughs> Does that surprise you, Pete? Uh, no phone, no phone. I just want to be alone today. <laughs> yes, that's a, that is a throwback to Cake, our favorite uh, musical group. Nice. But so that's, those are some of the suggestions that I have. Um, so uh, just 
try to be, give your pastor some time to, and, and encourage him to do that. And encourage him to do that. That's, and that he doesn't have to, and if he feels guilty about taking the time, you tell him that it's his job to do that. There have been times where my elders have said, hey, pastor, you should, you should get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it was, there was one summer, it was just where I, I had a vacation schedule and I had, Mm-hmm. There's, I, there's no way I could have taken it. Right. Something happened where people needed me. Um, and stuff like that happens. And this is why, too, yeah, be very supportive and like help them to get away because pastors need to get away. They need to see their families. They need to take a step back from all this. Right. So then hopefully they'll come Cause, back. Because we do, you do know, you know, when we do come back, we have a, a renewed vigor for what we do. Right. Because w- w- even if... Even if we're, you know, somewhere else, like if I'm on relaxing on a beach or something like that, it's not like I'm just forgetting everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just in a relaxed way thinking about sometimes how I could do things better. Oh, and here's the other final thing. Speaking of vacations, give them bigger blocks of time for vacation because it takes you about three days to wind down and then you start winding up about three days getting ready to come back. Which, if you're only taking a week of vacation, there's really no downtime, you know? You don't really get that effect. Of, right. So, bigger blocks of time. Unless you have five too. children, then... Then it, then you never wind down. <laughs> yeah, that'd be true. So, all right. I think uh, our producer is, you know, he's saying wrap it up, so... He looks pretty are, sleepy. He's How yeah. long have you been awake? How many hours? Oh, you know, 19. It's after, it's after 12, and... Uh, it's after noon, and uh, yeah, he got off his shift at seven mm-hmm. this morning. So yeah. So all right, thank you for listening to the show. I'm Berg. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicker. And may your dot dot dot. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.